I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Sharp Reds with myself, Ollie Geel, and Australia's third favourite son, but my favourite snow bunny, Mark Schwarzer. He's away again somewhere in, I don't know, some sort of Alps, I assume, Mark? I'm Yeah, I'm in Austria this time, mate. I'm in Tyrol. Um, uh, magnificent, really beautiful, beautiful place, and uh, the snow's been really good, and the weather has been incredible. Blue skies, sunshine, and it's perfect weather. It's actually almost like spring weather. Uh, it's been quite, it's been quite warm in terms of up here in the mountains, and uh, it's been really, really enjoyable. But I, I, I also really like snow, so I love it when it snows. Uh, there are not many people who go out and snow, uh, go and ski when it snows, but I, I do. I go out there. I'm pretty mad when it comes to that. And oh. uh, I love a bit of uh, off-piste skiing as well. So um, at the moment, because the conditions don't really allow you to ski off-piste because there's not enough fresh snow, to, uh, it's all quite crusty and, and, and uh, crunchy right now. Have you done a Black Diamond run? Is that the, the hardest one? Yeah, well, well, this morning we actually got up really early, so we, we got up and we were we timed it perfectly because where we're staying, we literally put our skis on and you ski from the house and you you, you ski ten meters and you're on the the peak, one of the peaks, and we timed it perfectly. We got down there and there was a bit of a queue from about hundred meters away, and then once we got to the uh, the the lift. The queue had already, the door had already opened up. The people were on, and we were literally amongst the first people on, on that uh, gondola, and we had the free reign of the mountain pretty much, and it was magnificent. So my brother-in-law and I skied for the first half an hour, forty-five minutes, just the two of us, and then we came back, had a bit of a breakfast, um, and took our respective wives out again, which was brilliant. Well, I'm incredibly jealous because I've got to say the weather's not so good in London, and I've just been sitting. Uh, all week looking at this bottle of Oyster Bay Merlot. So we've both got a bottle of that uh, and just a little bit of a, a description on it because um, this is our first Kiwi wine that we've had on the Two Sharp Reds, which is quite exciting. Controversially, of course. Very controversially, yeah, absolutely. But it does say that the Oyster Bay captures <laughs> the special character of New Zealand's cool climate viticulture. It's elegant, assertive, uh, with glorious fruit flavours. So it should be, uh, you know, if we have to do it, if we have to do a Kiwi wine, Mark, uh, that sounds like a pretty good one to me. So cheers. Cheers, mate. And a reminder, I look forward to finding out, uh, you know, what wine we, uh, what player we can compare this wine to, because, of course, here on the Two Sharp Reds, that is our aim. But uh, let's get stuck into the football, and we'll touch on the wine at halftime drinks. And, Mark... On the weekend, we saw Manchester City doing what Manchester City do best. They won 6-1 away at Aston Villa. But the story was, of course, the Argentine, Cunaguero, came out of things with a hat-trick. That's his 12th hat-trick now in the Premier League. Jeez, just the 12th. 
but he did surpass uh, an enormous record. So he's now moved past Thierry Henry, and he's joined Frank Lampard on 177 goals scored in the Premier League. Now, that's, that statistic in alone says pretty much all you need to know about Aguero. But I tell you what, Mark, is he the best ever striker we've had in the Premier League? He's definitely right up there. It has to be. Uh, he's been a phenomenal player, hasn't he? And it's funny, you know, when, when Pep Guardiola took over, what, four years ago now, it all seemed like he was the one to be the first casualties of, of the changeover. Obviously, the, the most uh, high-profile pro, high in the end turned out to be Joe Hart, but um, Aguero seemed to be the next one on the list. And, and it was a case of Aguero really having to knuckle down and change the way he played and also uh, his work rate. I think that was probably the biggest key. Uh, I think his work rate in the last four years has improved proved dramatically and uh, it's made him a better player he's been fitter and I think also that's one of the reasons why he's been able to continue you know when you get older can still continue on that pathway and and if anything I think he's become better well, he's still 31 years of age. So, realistically, if you look at Jamie Vardy, and yeah, you know, I'm critical in the fact that I'm, I sense at any moment, you know, his form could drop at that age. But at 31, hey, why not? But uh, just looking at that list there, what, what really grabs my attention is we all know what Thierry Henry did for world football, not just the Premier League. He was elite. But looking at the fact that he's now joined Frank Lampard, do you think that, that Lamps gets enough respect for for what he was able to achieve. You know, I certainly I think he does in one way. But in the other way, you just go more goals than Thierry Henry. That's, that's almost gone under the radar for mine. And as a, as a midfield player. We're not talking exactly. about a, we're not talking about a wide player or a striker. He's a midfield player, and he was a box to box and and a phenomenal player. No, I, I don't think. I think people do. I mean, particularly Chelsea fans do definitely uh, under understand and rate him right up there with the very very best to have played for Chelsea. Um, and and you know, I've I've been fortunate enough to to play on the same team as him. I mean, it was also you know, of course, down you know towards the the latter stages of his career. However, you know, he was still the ultimate professional and still had top top quality uh he was a top quality player and he was class um everything he did and uh, obviously i played against him a lot in the premier league and he scored his fair share of goals against me yeah and he did remind me it when i did go to chelsea as well um but you know what yeah great great player and he's turning out to be you know so far the signs are very positive about turning out to be a, a, a you know a top top class manager as well that's great do you remember what he said at the time I know he's not one of those ones that is, is quite outspoken and loud. He's he's yeah. he's pretty uh, understated in a lot of ways, um, and uh, it'll just be more of a bit of banter. Uh, so it'll be it'll be a, uh, sometimes every now and then you get a bit of a joking around, and then he'll he'll turn around and put you back in your place, especially when you're on the training field. If he had a few shots and say I made a few saves and I got a little bit cheeky with him, he turn around and go, you know, just don't forget those 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 goals I scored against you, particularly the last time we played when I was at Fulham. He scored the equaliser actually. Um, so yeah. Has Aguero ever scored past you? Uh, yeah, it's probably too too many times uh, for, for my own liking. Uh, I couldn't even really? tell you exactly how many times, but there's no doubt he, he, he did. Uh, you know, again, he's a different player. You mentioned Jamie Vardy and would, you know, Aguero, uh, Vardy's older. Uh, Vardy, I think longevity is going to be more of an issue unless he changes his game because there'll be a point where, you know, Jamie Vardy, what, you know, his game is based so much on the pace on that explosiveness, you know, running off people's shoulders, getting in behind. 
And, and that's what he's going to lose. He's going to lose that pace at some stage, whether it's an injury he picks up. Even though he's been relatively injury-free, ultimately at some stage he'll pick up an injury. And most likely it'll be something like a hamstring injury. When he does that, that could seriously, um, you know, seriously uh, uh, cause an issue with him in terms of slowing him down and, and changing his game. So with Aguero, Aguero doesn't rely wholeheartedly on speed. You know, he's quick, but it's not as if you you go if you talk about the top quick you know the five quickest players in the Premier League Aguero is not one of those ones that would be on your list anywhere near it um, but he's he's eye for eye for goal he's positional play he's runs even if you come, he comes short a lot you know he he's a, he's played often as a link up player uh, but his movement in the box is is sensational so I, I think he not only like I mentioned before he has lifted his work rate since uh, uh, since Guardiola has been there however. He still really does restrict it to that area, that sort of the, the between the post region, from halfway towards the opposition goals. And obviously, as we know, his most deadly uh, position is when he's when he's in that eight yard box. Um, however, on the weekend, he did score a, a, a pretty impressive goal from distance. So we know that Guardiola, in particular, has managed some some pretty epic talent over the years. Of course, at Bayern Munich and and at Barcelona. But after the game, he said uh, that he's a legend, and it was an honour to be there on the day that he achieved that record. Do you think that Aguero is the best number nine he's managed? Uh, out and out number nine, he's definitely right up there. Yeah, definitely very close to, if not the best. Uh, you know, he, Pep Guardiola's obviously worked with some phenomenal players, and you know, he talked. He asked the question about you know best player he's ever worked with, and yeah, there's Messi, of course, who's 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 the number one. And then he mentioned and said that you know Guerrero was one of the next best ones after after Messi. So you know when you talk about managers at that level, they've always they've always managed some phenomenal players. Um, and uh, even to say that he was that highly regarded just after Messi um, and and one of the the best after that, that's pretty impressive as well. And you know what stats don't lie. You know his record, like you said, you know breaking records, most hat tricks in the Premier League, goal scoring record. Will he become the the, the greatest of all time? No, probably not. Uh, in the Premier League, uh, however, I think you know he'll he'll definitely move a couple more places up on the on the table. I think. In the goalkeeping circles, do you have an equivalent of a hat trick? So, if you make three out and out saves in a game, uh, no, not as a hat trick. No, I mean it's more about for goalkeepers. It's more about those clean sheets, isn't it? It's about yeah. playing your part, keeping a clean sheet. If you keep you keep a clean sheet, you give your your team the best opportunity to to win the game. And uh, that's what it's about. That's what you pride yourself on. That's what you work so hard to uh, towards. And if you can't keep a clean sheet, you you, you know it's about keeping your team in the game. You know, trying to make those vital saves when when you need to. You know, when when you, whenever you whenever there's an opportunity to make a save, you know that's that's what your goalkeeper is there for. That's why you need such a reliable goalkeeper to. You know, maybe times in the games where you're not not that much involved. You know, you 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 know you gotta be careful not to zone out. You've got to actually play the game that's being played out in front of you. You've got to stay involved. The mental approach is the challenge. And that was my biggest difference when I, uh, biggest challenge when I went to Chelsea. Because no longer are you playing with a team that sort of sits back at times and absorbs pressure and, and you, you, you defend quite deeply because you don't want teams to get in behind you or around you. Now you're with a side that is dictating play and dictating play most of the time. You know, there's only probably four or five other game, uh, teams in the, in the league that would either dictate the play against you or, or, or be a bit more even. The rest of the time, it's, it's, it's you as Chelsea 
on the on the front foot. You have to dictate play. You're taking you know your game to the opponent. So you've got to stay in the game. There be maybe games where you, you only have two or three saves to make, but they're they're vital saves that you you know to keep you know to keep you in, in front to keep you keep that lead intact, uh, or at the very least keep that clean sheet and sheet and and not lose the game. Well, you certainly made some vital saves over the years. You, you scarcely remind me very often of them. And in fact, I remember, so for people that don't know, normally when we record this podcast, we record in your wine cellar. Uh, and down yep. there, there are several bottles of champagne from uh, your man in the match performances. So, I mean, I'll throw this one out there. Is, it th- is there an option that we, you know, for one episode or one episode only, we don't become the two sharp reds? Do we become the, the two sharp champagnes? Yeah, the problem with that is, you know, the ones that you saw in my in my uh, wine cellar, that they're pretty much, I would say, uh, twenty years old. Some of them, um, sure. ten years old, and champagne generally doesn't last that long. Um, and I'm not a champagne fan, mate. So if you're going to go, you're going to go solo, and I'll stick to my red. Hey, Mark, on the weekend uh, we saw something in particular that that you haven't seen in in a little while from footballers because footballers have, have of course, you know, evolved and changed over the years to become more and more professional. But we saw Sheffield United's Ollie McBurney. Uh, He was in the crowd between the the game between Swansea and Cardiff, of course. You know, such a derby that is whenever uh, it's played out. Uh, And he was in the crowd, literally in the away section, you know, dancing away. Uh, and the FA have had to remind him of his responsibilities because he was seen sort of you know, doing a few hand gestures that weren't uh, too, too crash hot. But what are your thoughts, aside from, from a, you know, an offensive gesture, that's completely different, but seeing him celebrating in the crowd like he was you know, doing it forever, you know, these, are, these are great scenes. Yeah, listen, celebrating and, and being that fan in terms of, you know, being in the moment and, and you know, getting behind your team, absolutely, go for it. It's, it's actually refreshing to see. The, the, the slightly disappointing part of it is the gestures, of course, the obscene gestures. And, 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 and the thing is, you know, it's not nice when you see the average fan doing it, let alone a recognisable figure. And whether he likes it or not, he's a role model. And, you know, the average individual, the young kid growing up now, you know, who's a, who's a mad football fan, Sheffield United fans, you know, that, that's an example. And, that's a, and I think it's a bad example. I, I don't think players should be reacting in that manner. And, and I understand you're a fan and you get carried away here at the moment, but he should know better. And, you know, it's not the first uh, incident he's been involved with this season where he's, he's caught it a bit of controversy. So he's got to be a little bit careful. I mean, obviously, he's a, he's a little bit on the, uh, on the rogue side. And he has to be a little bit careful to make sure that he that he sticks to to his to his bread and butter, and that's concentrating on playing football. Um, but yeah, go ahead, support your team, but just keep the rude gestures, keep your hands in your pocket a little bit more. So, Mike, yeah, it's an interesting point you make, and there's, I suppose, two sides of this that we can dissect. We'll start with the first one. Of I've, I notice it more and more when I watch football, unfortunately. And you know, say if you're in, particularly you know, in a game where it's nil all and there's not a lot going on in the field, you start to naturally be drawn to to the crowd. And it is fairly frequent, you know, how often you know the crowds are making pretty bad gestures. And you know, education starts at home when it comes to children, of course. So if you're if you're a young kid going with a parent and you see that. You know that's where you make the first point of education. You go, this is this isn't what we should do, right? You know that that's the case with lots of things. It always starts at home. But if you're if you're in that Swansea away section and you see a Premier League footballer doing it, 
I mean, that's incredibly inappropriate. Yeah, I agree, and, and I and I think that's the probably the biggest disappointment of it all. I, listen, I think it's great that he's gone there. It's getting it's fantastic that he shows you support for his for his team, but you, you've got to also understand that you are that role model. You are that person that so many kids look up to, and uh, you've got to behave in a, in, a, in a more respectable manner. I, I I think you know in a time when you know we we've there's been lots of issues in football recently and and mostly to do with well it's to do with fan behavior whether you know whether it's uh race related or whether it's uh just behavior in general and and you know like you said if it's a premier league footballer who is in the crowd making those very same gestures that you know that he's receiving probably week in week out and maybe he doesn't care maybe you know that maybe that's you know a lot of players sort of thrive on that i mean Robbie Savage used to thrive on 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 being being abused all the time to a degree I mean I know Robbie reasonably well and I think a lot of it was a front and, and it was just his coping mechanism of the situation and I know he definitely does get a little bit um, uh, not paranoid but I think he's definitely sensitive and, and, he, and he does it does hurt him um, but it's just a way of responding to it but for for you know for Ollie McBurney I think he needs to Really have a have someone sit down with him and 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 chat to him through his responsibilities and being that role model and 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 trying to explain how it looks from a from a young Sheffield United fan you know to see you know one of their idols in the crowd you know giving that sort of behaving in that sort of manner they're going to think most kids are going to think that's acceptable. So then the other thing, of course, Mark, that's you know from Swansea's perspective because it is fantastic to see a young guy in this professional world just enjoying himself and celebrating and and enjoying his you know his childhood team. But you know, okay, let's say for example next year, what happens if Sheffield United play Swansea in a cup game? You know, does there come a point where this becomes a little bit too inappropriate? Um, no, I don't think I don't think from a perspective of that you know his team he supports and. You know, he showed obviously that he's that he's a diehard uh, Swansea City fan. But I think once you know, if he, once he's playing for Sheffield United, and say they do, you know, for for his perspective, unfortunately, were to be drawn against Swansea, I, I would think he's professional enough to go out there and, and do his best and, and, and try and win for his team. I mean, he, you know, there's, an, there's a professional obligation, and I'm sure that he would do that. I, I can't imagine it otherwise. Um, you know, I, I do know of players that. Didn't want to play games at certain clubs. I remember, I remember when I was, um, you know, I was at Middlesbrough and and Paul Merson left Middlesbrough controversially. Um, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of. Like, he actually didn't end up turning up anymore, and he forced his deal through, and he ended up going through to Aston Villa. And I remember at Aston Villa, when every time Aston Villa came to play at Middlesbrough, he was always either injured uh, or ill. He never ever came back to play at the Riverside, and uh, it was it was incredible. Um, because he was so worried about the, I, I think, the abuse possibly that he was going to receive from the Middlesbrough fans, and uh, so I can see maybe you know I'm not saying that's what he's going to do, but you never know. Maybe he'll be injured if that were to happen. If he did, I mean that's just that's got to be you know. I don't know. It's different if you just you know just played for Swansea and then you felt uncomfortable about it. But if you've been seen in the away section of the Welsh derby, I mean, it's, and then I, I don't know. I just think at this point when you're being paid as much as you're being paid, you know, Sheffield United can't be happy with it. 
Um, no, I don't think it's. I honestly don't think that's a problem. I, the, the part they won't be happy about is the, the the gestures that he was making towards the Cardiff City fans, purely because he's a representative of Sheffield United. He he is a player, professional footballer, and and a, and a role model. And and that's their biggest concern. I would I would think I, I would sh- I would be I'd be very very surprised if Sheffield United didn't you know give him a rack, uh, a, a whack over the knuckles and and reprimand him for his behaviour and remind him of his obligations as a role model and I, and I and I'm sure that's what the FA have done as well and 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 they should because like I said like it or not as a footballer as an athlete as a professional as someone who's in the spotlight you you have there is a responsibility you you, you have to understand that people look up to you people admire you and and your behavior at times uh, or all the time is scrutinized and 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 you you can influence people's behaviours, and, and that's important to to get the right messages across. Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds and Mark. It just strikes me as you know, I can just sort of picture you again in your ski lodge with your sort of eighties leg warmers on. I'm assuming, and it just must be the perfect time to have uh, a glass of this Oyster Bay Merlot. No, it's beautiful, mate. I'm I'm really enjoying it. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Love it. It's, um, it's pretty, um, pretty smooth, I have to say. Um, you know, at least I'm a Merlot fan. I, I love Merlot. I think a Merlot, you can never go wrong. Whenever you buy a Merlot, if you want something that's going to be nice, good drink, easy drink... And it has a lot, a lot of consistency. Merlot's the way to go forward. Um, and uh, for me, it's either a Merlot or a Pinot Noir. And uh, I'm really enjoying this one. Have you had much New Zealand wine before? Because it's not, in, in terms of a red wine, it's not exactly, you know, a nation that springs to mind that, that provides some of the world's best. Uh, no, but it does. I know it actually does produce some really good red wine. So I, I've actually had quite a bit of New Zealand red wine in the past. And I actually have had Oyster Bay red wine before. So, you know, it's not the first time I've drunk it. And I've always thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Mark, uh, there was one more bit of controversy that we saw in the Premier League this weekend. Who would have thought it, hey? Uh, and it's surrounding VAR again. I mean, we've tried so hard not to talk about VAR. I know we've heavily featured it in the first maybe two or three episodes. Uh, but it's important that we live with it now that it's here and we just get on with things. But... I mean, there's posing a lot of questions at the moment. The most recent controversy, of course, is the offside rule and whether or not an armpit is in is or is not deemed offside. But uh, there was an interesting one on the weekend. We saw uh, in the Crystal Palace Arsenal game, Aubameyang uh, sliding in and he received the yellow card, but then it was then overturned uh, to a red. But then in the later game, uh, the the Liverpool Tottenham game, Andy Robertson with a very similar tackle, and it wasn't even a foul. I mean, I'm sure you've you've all seen it. If not, ha- have a Google of these two tackles. But my, from your perspective, 
didn't they look exactly the same? Well, no, they, they didn't look exactly the same in terms of the challenges themselves. However, the both I don't think either of them had any intent. I think both of them were, were genuinely going for the ball. Um, Aubameyang's was... I think was was the worst of the two in terms of the lateness of the challenge, but I don't think he had any malice in it whatsoever. Um, and with with Andy Andy Robertson, it's a case of his first touch ends up being a, a poor one, and then he then he lunges forward for the ball, and as he does that, he he um, goes over the top of it, or as as the ball goes, he, he follows through. And what I don't understand is people. I've read various, you know, comments from people on on, on various social media. Out, people are saying, you know, and I have to say that they're mostly all Liverpool fans. That if you believe that this is a red car, you should stop watching football and watch something else because it's a contact sport and it's a fifty-fifty challenge. And it's just so happened that the Tottenham player came worse off out of the challenge, which I think is just obscene. Uh, you know what? I don't like. I said before. I'll 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 say it again. I don't think Andy Robertson meant it either. I don't think he, it was any malice intended. But as far as I'm concerned, both challenges are reds. One got a red, and I think Andy, Andy Robertson's is a red. And, you know, for when does it actually not become a red? Well, is it not a red because he didn't break the guy's leg? Do you have to break his leg for it to be a red? And I, and I, and I just don't get that. Uh, for me, it's 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 a clear it's a clear red card, and the fact that the referee, I, I, listen, I can understand the referee maybe not seeing it from the angle uh, where where the ball was, where the players were. I can understand the referee not not seeing it. What I don't understand is how VAR didn't 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 actually bring it up. Why why VAR didn't deem it to be uh, uh, an, like an uncontrolled and and an unsafe challenge. I don't get it. It's an interesting point you make, and, and the one that springs to mind in particular was Son Hon Ming's challenge on Andre Gomez. And so, you know, initially was given a yellow card, and then when the referee saw the, the very clear, visible damage done to Gomez's ankle, it became a red card. So do you get the sense that it almost does come down to how badly you injure them, then they'll change it to a red? I, I think it, that, that can definitely influence a referee. I think often you'll see referees who will wait and they'll go and actually they'll, they'll, they'll make a visual. They'll have a visual on, on how the player uh, is. Is, is, the, is there damage? How much damage to the player is there? And then often will we'll base their decision on that. And, and I don't think it should be that way. I think it should be the case that you, you've got to judge each individual incident on its own merit. And, and I think the fact that I think both of them were endangering the uh, opponent. And, and endangering them so far is could have very very easily have torn ligaments, broken ankles, broken broken uh, shins. So you know, and and could be a very very lengthy layoff for for those players. Um, but unfortunately, I think they got it wrong. I think they got it wrong with with the Andy Robinson uh, challenge. Um, but I think with Aubameyang, there's no complaints whatsoever. I think they, like I said, I'll, I'll say it again. I think both of them should have seen red. So do we think that this is one of the major issues when it comes to VAR in the sense that if you're talking about an offside, they've got the you know scientific or mathematic approach where you can see that it is indeed offside. But when it comes to things like uh, you know a yellow or a red card, that's where it becomes too much of an interpretation. Yeah, but so it's, surely, it but it's always an interpretation. Yeah, but it's always an interpretation. If a ref- if there's no VAR, the referee is interpreting the incident. So. There's always an interpretation. The, the, the difference with VAR, it just allows the referees more opportunity to, to, to assess the challenge and, and be it the VAR referee. And, and they have 
the perfect opportunity to watch various replays to determine whether or not a foul is a foul, whether it's not. And the question is, is it a case of the referee on the match day in the stadium saw it, gave his interpretation of what he's seen? Does the VAR referee that I know they do take that into account. So is it a clear and obvious mistake? Did the referee miss it? And and the description the referee gave, does that not does that not does that match it or does it not match it? Is it not a clear and obvious mistake? Or is it a case of it doesn't matter what the referee thought he saw, the fact is the way they've it's been seen on TV and the way the replays have shown it, it should be a red, like in the case of Aubameyang. Um so I think in both cases uh, the referee the overturning overruling of the yellow card of Birmingham was 100% correct the Robinson one wasn't because they should have been a red card and and the thing with VAR they've always said it's not going to eliminate controversy it's not going to eliminate all issues there are going to be still talking points there are still it still allows interpretation listen offside they draw a line so it's a case of they've gone right what part of the body is deemed to be offside? You can't obviously score a goal with any part of your arm, whether that's your shoulder down to, down to your, your fingertips. So you've got to draw a line of where it is. The, the point is your armpit. So does that mean clubs are going to check the size of people's armpits before they sign them in the future? That could be the case. You never know. Um, but you know what? I, I'm all for it. it. It's black and white. Yes, you could argue the, the speed of the cameras, the frames per second, they need to be quicker, they need to be this. But at the moment, everyone's being judged on the same with the same technology so I don't have a problem with that for me that's black and white they draw the line they draw the they, they can tell is he offside is he not it doesn't matter to me if it's a millimeter two millimeters one meter that it's offside is offside because how, when do you start to say okay he's only offside by a millimeter according to this so well we'll let that one go we'll give him the benefit of doubt but where do you stop it is it two centimeters is it three centimeters is it one foot. When when do you then adjudge it to be onside and offside? I think you. Well, is it a fair argument to make that you know? Okay, on reflection of this season, you know, at the end of the season, look back and go, well, no one's going to be scoring with their arm or their armpit. So if a toe is offside, then that's different because no, that is a scoring. But advantage. technically, but technically, you can score with your armpit because it's not your arm. So you, as long as you the inside of your armpit and it hits your body. You can score. I mean, I know it's obscene, and how often is it ever going to happen? But there's a point where you've got to go right. This is the part of the body where it's no longer handball. So that's where we're going to that's where we're going to judge it for whether it's offside or not. So somewhere you have to draw a line. Somewhere there's a point you have to find a point where okay, that's where we're judging whether someone's off onside or offside. It's the same for everyone. So I don't I don't get I don't get the whole the debate about it. I, I for me that's black and white. It's like goal line technology. Nobody even questions it anymore. It's obvious. You see it. They've drawn a line. It's the full width of the ball. If it's one millimeter of the ball on the line, it's no goal. If it's one millimeter over the line, it's a goal. So there's no there's no controversy there. With the offside, I I I've moved on. I'm like, it's offside. Is he armpit offside or is it on onside? It doesn't to me. It doesn't even it doesn't even. There's not even a point of discussion anymore. The other stuff is the, the interpretation still. And that's what they've always said. Firstly, they said VA is not perfect. They've never, ever said it's perfect. And secondly, they've always said there are going to be areas still to debate. There's going to be interpretations. And, and that's what we're having. We're having interpretations. If, a ref, if, the, if the VAR didn't exist and the referee were refereeing the games, people would still be discussing exactly the same things. 
The only difference is people won't be going, well, you're watching on this camera. You've seen it so many times on a, on a, on a, on a, uh, on a, on a TV screen. You still can't get the decision right. Well, people, if you ask 100 people, there's still going to be different interpretations of it. And that's football. That's sport. You know, and, and that'll never change. Well, another work in progress, of course, is this bottle of uh, Oyster Bay Merlot. And very soon we'll, uh, of course, uh, compare this bottle of wine to a player past or present. But I do have a stat that I just want to throw your way, Mark, and I want to get your thoughts on it because it blew my mind. But Jose Mourinho has now lost more games in 2020 than Jurgen Klopp has lost since May of 2018. I mean, where do you even start with that stat? Well, you, you could probably grab a whole lot of different managers and, and put them in that same category. There are very, very few managers on the planet who, who have a better record than Jurgen Klopp currently does. You know what? Jurgen Klopp, is a bit, he's been at, what, Liverpool for, what are we now? Is it four years? I think it's four years or five. Yeah, four years. So in his first year, he wasn't successful. In his second year, he wasn't successful, unless you class getting to a Champions League final success. Well, it is. It definitely, it definitely is an element of success, but a club of Liverpool's magnitude and stature, it's not quite enough, and I understand that. Um, and but he won the Champions League last year, which is phenomenal, which is a, a remarkable. And I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Jurgen Klopp, and I think what you know, the what he's done at Liverpool and how he's turned things around, and he's got that club into such a mentality of winning games, intensity. Is is remarkable, and he and, and has to have amazing amount of credit. Um, but he's had four years to get things right. You know, listen, Jose's been there for what a couple of months now, and it's going to take time for for him to put his mark on the team. One could argue and say, what mark is that going to be? Is it going to be a disaster? Are Tottenham going to get worse than 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 bet than 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 than, than improve? That's only going to, you know, only time will tell. Has, has Jose supposedly lost it? Well, we'll, we'll wait and see how the future, how the future fold, uh, turns out. Um, but Liverpool and what Jurgen Klopp's done has been remarkable. But he's had time to do it. Give people time and then let's judge them. Don't pick out one player, like one person like Jose Mourinho. Everyone loves to pick on him. Everyone loves to give it to him. Because I understand as well, because he, he does rile people up because of the way he, he, he behaves sometimes, the way he becomes quite touchy. Um, and, I, and I get that. But, you, you know, I think you can put, you can lump a whole of other people in that same category that have not won as many games as, as, as uh, Jurgen Klopp. Probably no one has. Let's be honest. Probably no one has the record that Jurgen Klopp currently does right now on the planet. Is he the best manager in the world right now? Oh, it's hard to look beyond it, isn't it? It's hard to it's hard to to say he's not. Um, oh, how do you judge that? You know, in terms of form, in terms of 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 games won in the last twelve months, there's no one as good as him. No way in the world. No one no one close to him at the moment. That's why he's what is he sixteen points clear in the Premier League. The next, arguably, the next best manager on the planet is the the team that is second in the Premier League. Um, in, in 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 Pep Guardiola. So. Uh, I mean, but then are they, you know, if you take them individually, who was a better manager? That's open to interpretation. Some would say Pep Guardiola, some would say Jurgen Klopp. You know, let's bring the VAR into it. Let's make that, let them make the decision. Exactly. I think that's a great idea. I thought we, we should shuffle a pack, a uh, pack of Uno cards or, I don't know, just flip a cork or something and just see what it lands on. Exactly. I think that's a great idea. 
<laughs> now, Mark, uh, this is a beautiful bottle of Oyster Bay Merlot. Uh, as we touched on, the first Kiwi wine that we've had on the show. Uh, have you had a chance to think about who you can compare this to, or would you like me to go first? No, no, I've got one, mate. I, I literally, literally, from the moment uh opened the bottle, I knew who I was going to pick and who I was going to compare it with. And uh, it's because, listen, Oyster Bay is top, top class. It's, it's right up there with being, you know, one of the world's best wine producers, in my opinion, particularly in the, in the new world wines, goes without doubt. Um, obviously more renowned for their white wine, but I, like I said before, I've had Oyster Bay Reds before, and I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed them, been very, very good. And this, this, is, this is right up my alley. Um, I really enjoy a Merlot, like I said earlier on, and uh, really good wine, good quality, nice, nice to nice to drink. Could eat, you know, could drink it with anything you're eating, anything that's on the table. I, I, I'm, I would socially drink it. I would also take it. I'd be not afraid to have it at a at a nice at a nice party um, because I think it's that good. And it's one of those ones where you know it's it's it oozes quality and. This player that I I played with was someone that <clears throat> I wouldn't say it definitely didn't jump out in your face. He was a he was a bit of a, he was a hard player to play with at times because he was so demanding. And the reason he was so demanding is because he played at the very highest level, played for England and uh, played for Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool fan as a kid, grew up in Liverpool, um, and uh, he, he changed his game quite a bit in the end because he couldn't do the box to box anymore like he used to. But his array of passing, his, his vision in the game, his understanding of the game was exceptional. Um, and I'm really, really surprised to this day that he's still not a manager or in coaching because he was, he was ideal for it. And Fulham must still be kicking themselves to this very day that they didn't keep him to the, at the club, give him a contract, keep him as a player, as long as he wanted to be as a player, and then also integrate him as a manager or as a coach. Uh, but unfortunately, at the time, Martin Yell was too insecure and was so worried uh, that this guy could see straight through him and, and realise how, how average a manager he was that he got rid of him as soon as he possibly could. Um, so I'm going to compare this wine to Danny Murphy. Wow. Yeah, I thought it might have been. Yeah, brilliant player. Absolutely brilliant player. And the, that, that two seasons, the first two seasons I was at Fulham, uh, 2008 to 2010 with Roy Hodgson as the manager uh, you know Danny Murphy was the the captain midfielder hardly I don't I think he ever I think he only missed one penalty I think um, but generally he was a, he was a he was a such a safe bet that any time he got a penalty you thought right it's a goal and uh, he was brilliant what a player he was yes he didn't have his pace anymore he wasn't able to get box to box but his reading of the game and his, his array of passing, we relied so heavily on him. He was so influential and so important uh, to our team. And a big reason why we were, we were, you know, when we did get a chance with the ball, make those runs forward, Murph was always the one that uh, provided the opportunities and was generally, 99% of the time, the one that started it. Uh, so moving on to my pick, I, I mean, this is, very, it took me two seconds as well, as you quite rightly said, as soon as uh, I, I took a smell of it, and you can understand its quality, just looking at it and, and understanding its ilk and where it comes from. Uh, but the two words in particular that I did use right at the start were classy and assertive. And 
In 2020, there's only one person that comes to mind when it comes to classy and assertive. We were just talking about him, and it's it's Pep Guardiola. I think they're the, they're the only two words you can use uh, to describe him because I think you're right. I think the other managers, maybe uh, Jurgen Klopp, you know, it's all up for interpretation as to whether or not they're better than Pep Guardiola. That's totally fair enough. But when you're using those two words of being able to be assertive and dominant whilst being classy at the same time. For me, there's only one man who's doing it at the moment, and that's Pep Guardiola. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Yeah, I think you're, you're pretty spot on there, mate. Do you hate it when you agree, agree with me? Do you go, oh, well, that's not fun? No, actually, I, I'm, I'm surprising myself because that that's like probably the first time I ever agree with you. So, yeah, no, it, it I don't think it ever happened before. So I'm in a little bit of no man's land here, un, uncharted territory. And, um, yeah, I just don't think it'll happen too often that's the only thing Mark thanks for uh, another enjoyable episode of the Two Sharp Reds thank goodness uh, we'll be back in each other's arms next week as we're in your cellar and I just eye off one of those man of the match champagne bottles uh, and eventually talk you into opening one of them if not just for uh, Instagram just uh, just to know that you've done it uh, but enjoy your ski trip um, Make sure you stretch of a morning, stretch of a night, because you are getting to that uh, at that point where it is important to stretch and, and make sure you feel physical, uh, you know, in the top of your game every day. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for that advice. Um, I, I just quite don't know where that advice has come from, considering I've listen. I've seen you. I I, I see how much you don't exercise. Um, don't quite understand how you can understand what it actually takes to stretch. You don't look like a man that has ever stretched. You know um, that I used to be a dancer. Yeah, I know, know I know. You, you, you throw that wild card out every now and then. I mean, it's only hearsay, let's be honest. <laughs> well, it won't be hearsay anymore because I'll post a picture, on, uh, picture of it on my Twitter, at Ollie Gill, so get amongst that. Uh, also, at Optusport, at Mark Schwarzer. Uh, let us know if you've got any suggestions of beautiful red wines that we need to be trying over the weeks to come. Uh, Mark, thank you again. Cheers, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, mate. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.